Hi, Ryan. Um, my name is Henning Rundle, and I'll, I'll give a little uh, uh, preamble to relate to the question that's coming. The preamble is the um, 7980 people refugee uh, situation. And at that time, there were government-sponsored and then private-sponsored. At that time, the government made it very easy to uh, become a charitable organization. And the group of us that we tried, my wife and I, we tried to go through our church, which didn't work. And then we just got citizens together, like the Moyers, right there, yes. And us, there were seven, six or seven families from about four or five different faiths, and we sponsored a family from, uh, from Laos. Now, we had responsibilities under the agreement with the uh, government to sponsor them for one year, provide job, housing, uh, taking to medical appointments and so on and whatnot, uh, for one year. So, in some ways, the, and the sort of double-pronged double question, in some ways the privately sponsored ones, in a way, were more taken care of than the government sponsored ones, because uh, uh, I visit at the same time, on the same bus from uh, Edmond, another Laotian family came that were government sponsored, the next day I saw them crying and remembering there's no one there. I do. How long is the, the sponsorship contract now and what does it entail? And do you have housing yet for this family? By the way, we, we're, we're on board too. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's similar. It's a, it's a year commitment that, they, that we agreed to look after their basic, all their basic needs, housing, transportation, education, um, any medical expenses that aren't covered by basic Alberta health, to um, win your commitment to look after them, and and that is true for private for the for the named private sponsorship where we we, we choose a family to bring over. I, I think for the for the BBOR cases, the government pays for a portion of the expenses for half for six months, and then the group will be on the hook for their for part of the first six months and the full second six months. Um, Second part of your question again was housing. Oh, the housing. No, we, we don't have housing yet because we don't know exactly when they're coming, and we don't want to. We don't want to start paying rent before we don't yeah. have to. Um, so you mentioned collecting furniture. So I yeah, we, we have a storage facility that someone has graciously donated out by the airport. <coughs> where we have some things already, and we have garages and people donated basements. Yeah, it's kind of a like, like the group itself. It's been sort of an ad hoc thing, but um, yeah. Just for the first two families, my understanding, and someone on the committee can correct me if I'm wrong, but we're, we're basically good to go for those first two families as far as furniture, um, material needs, and, and the money for the first year. We're ready for them to come. So that's where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. What? Oh, Judy just informed me that if anybody has two single beds, we would love two single beds for the kids, right? That are coming. Also, I was supposed to mention new mattresses. New mattresses. Don't, don't give us old new stuff. We want new good stuff. Or relatively new. I was supposed to mention Lethbridge Immigrant Family and Immigrant Services has also been a huge help to us thus far on this journey, and they will walk with us going forward. So we're very grateful to them too. So that's just for FYI. Douglas Mitchell. I just, uh, Ryan, it's wonderful 
that you're doing this and, and the support you've garnered. I'm a little concerned, though, about the fact uh, you indicated there was a fundraising element. And uh, uh, I think all of us who have had any association with it have provided some support. And in my case, uh, to a denominations uh, relief and development agency, and they have stressed that equally important is the support support of food and clothing or whatever for the millions of refugees that still exist in the, in the Middle East and elsewhere. And I wonder uh, how you would respond to. This is, I mean, as I say, at the local level, you're inspired to do something and you've had the, and I'm sorry to hear that you've had all this uh, hate, mail, and bigotry, and it's, it's tragic that we still have that element of And I wonder if you could answer how do you think, uh, or how do you relate your, your efforts yep. to other efforts? Yep. That's, a, that's a really good question, and it's an important one because. The reality is, is that, like you said, there's a whole bunch of support for local initiative here, and I think one of the one of the great things about social media is that it can get the word out fast and it can spread the opportunities for involvement really fast. One of the downsides to social media is that we have become sort somewhat of a point and click activistic culture, where something moves us on a really visceral level. And we instantly want to click something or, or donate somewhere or, or do something to make it better right now. And so what can I do? And so people look around and they want to help, and that's wonderful. But the, it, while this is happening and while people are trying to help out to bring families to lepers, you're, you're absolutely right. I don't see where, where did you go? I want to look at you. <laughs> over there. The, there's, there's agencies like NCC and many others who are crying out for help in the region. Agencies that are that are that are responsible to provide clothing and shelter and medicine and um, do peace building initiatives and, and and help these incredibly vulnerable people through the winter, which is coming. The the sad reality is the overwhelming majority of the people that are over there right now will not be in Europe or Canada this winter. They'll be over there, and so it, it's not just the only answer isn't just to bring families here and to sponsor refugees to come to Canada. I would strongly encourage individuals and groups also to make sure that you contribute to the aid work that's going over there, because that is desperately needed. And until Christmas, it's, it's any donations that are made to humanitarian aid for the Syrian crisis will be doubled by the government of Canada. Uh, so you've got a window here where everything you give is you're giving twice as much, and it's, it's desperately needed. So thank you for that for that reminder. Uh, Terry Gillington, uh, thank you for being here, and thank you for the work you've done. Um, I ask this question as one who has knocked on a few doors and been astonished at what I would call the level of uh, uh, hostility and anger. And I wonder if you would care to reflect, uh, you think this is a radical, you know, fringe element of our culture, or is this a piece of our culture that, that we need to take more seriously than just write them off as radical elements. I, I wish it was a radical fringe of our culture. I don't I don't know how it use that term. I think it's probably a bit more widespread than we would than we would like, obviously. Um, I think that human beings are complex creatures and we are easily afraid and we're 
that we, uh, we respond to, to fear in all kinds of unhealthy ways. And there's a lot of misinformed or half-informed um, opinions out there about the perceived threat. And unfortunately, a lot of those fears are can be stoked by comments made by politicians. And um, it's, it's unfortunate that, um, that some of these views, it's almost like people pour gasoline in the fire, that these sentiments are out there. And then with this whole niqab debate right now, a lot of these issues are being conflated and together. And it's kind of sparking this anti-Muslim sentiment in our culture. Never mind the fact that not every refugee is a Muslim. That's the first, even if that was where you wanted to go with that. Um, they're not all Muslims. There's Yazidis, there's Christians, there's seculars. There's, there's certainly Muslims, yes, and that's probably the majority. But um, it, yeah, it, I wish I could say that it's this tiny little side portion of our society, but I hear it in conversations with friends even. Um, and it's not always in the hard edge of it, but just little questions. Like, you, you, you sense this undercurrent of fear. In, in many, many people, and, and, I, and I, I worry about that. My name is Frank Todd. Mary, hold, hold your mic for a minute. <laughs> My question would be elongated a little bit. Do we, first of all, do we accept any responsibility for what's happened in the Far East? We have a gentleman at our table who has three books on the Muslim so-called problems over there. We went back to the Crusades where all these wars were religiously oriented to, to begin with. Now the SACPA members have heard all the preachers of so many religions here, except I think the Hutterites we haven't heard from them yet. So we're, we're very well versed there on religion. Now, does the church, any church, accept any responsibility? Let's get to the basic problem. What started? We started this war killing those people by the millions. Our same government that sent our planes and our troops over there kill over there. Do we take any responsibility? Where were your voices when this was all happening? We, we're, we're responsible for what's happened here now. I'm all in favor of your efforts. And I praise you for that. Thank you. Well, it's, I guess it all depends on which we you're talking about. Um, we, the church, we, the government, we, Canadians, we, um, there's a whole bunch of we's embedded in that question. Um, I think as citizens of, of the Western world, yeah, I think that governments in, in, in America and beyond have, 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 have contributed to um, the, the political reality that exists there right now. And, and I think that we have a responsibility to own up to that. As, whether we live in the States or Canada or wherever, that this doesn't just emerge out of nowhere, these, 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 these situations. Um, as far as the Middle Ages, I, I don't know what to say about that. Um, I, I think that all I can speak from, from is, is, is my perspective as, as, a, as a citizen, as a human being, as a, a member of the Mennonite Church, and, and I can say with some pride that, that, that our church has been there since many, many years, uh, working to, to provide relief and assistance in that area. We've been consistent advocates for peace, anti-war, um, and so I'm proud of, our, our church isn't blameless, we, we have our faults, don't worry, we have, every church has skeletons in their closet, but I'm really proud of, of, of our church's and our organization's reputation on the global stage. 
that doesn't mean that we're blameless, but um, I think every every political crisis like this and, and humanitarian crisis has a complex set of causes. I'm not going to solve those causes. What, what can I do now? And that's, that's sort of where our group has ended up. So, is that okay? Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> I'm Beth from Lavender Stone. I'm sorry, I was going to ask you a question how to solve all those crises. Oh, dear. Oh. <laughs> it's an easy answer, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm like Terry, I'm very concerned about um, the turn in our 11 week um, political campaign and how um, the Prime Minister, the, the, now the leader of the Conservatives, has changed this from a nice uh, semi intellectual discussion into one of, of um, racism, hate, and fear. But it, it seems to me that a capitalist, a consumerist society is um, easily swayed by fear of loss of our stuff. And so you can take that greed and just flip it over. Someone else is going to take something from us. But what is really concerning, and this is part of my question, is that the, that the Christian, right-wing Christians seem to have bought into this whole thing of greed as well as Christianity. And could you talk about how when we're talking to friends who um, call themselves Christians but um, espouse this new first greed mentality, how we can help them to pull apart the problems with their thinking? Thank you. I often tell people that, that Jesus is a wonderful trump card to have in my pocket. And, I, and all I would say is that as a Christian, I consistently point people back to the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus. Um, Jesus was no, was no <laughs> described as somebody who had nowhere to lay his head, um, who said, blessed are the poor, who said, um, blessed are the peacemakers. All, all these things that some elements of the church regularly ignore, I, I, I see it as at the heart of the gospel. As at the heart of Christian teaching. What, what are the words and teachings and the lifestyle of Jesus? I always point people back towards that. So if someone comes and says that, you know, the, the American dream is, is, is Christian, I, I tell them, okay, well, show me how that works with the life and the teaching of Jesus. And very often they have nothing to say because there isn't a lot you can say. Um, so I, 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 I love the fact that uh, Jesus cuts through a lot of the noise and he makes things pretty clear in some ways, very difficult in some ways. But um, that's a, that's a start of an answer. Um, that it, it doesn't solve every problem, obviously, but drawing people back to the core of what they say they believe. And if you, if you claim to be a Christian, you have to take Jesus seriously. That's, that's one of my deepest convictions. Hello, thank you. My name is Michael, and I just want to say I honor everyone who is here and engaged in this very serious issue, and thank you for everything you do. Um, first of all, uh, I'd like to say that I'm going to be very straightforward, and I'm not usually this assertive, but uh, seize the day. So I studied uh, world peace, and I studied the most obvious local solutions and the most obvious global solutions. And throughout my studies of globalization, I have uh, come to understand what is now a scientifically irrefutable solution to everything. Wow. <laughs> so I have good news to share. 
Um, and you keep it. <laughs> Classic. Um, well, my first question, and I'll be quick, okay. is how much time would you be offering me to share this irrefutable formula? Yeah. That's Margaret's job. Yes, no, yeah, yeah. Can you ask a question? I'm right. Absolutely, please. but my main question is how much time would you be interested in offering uh, it, even yeah. if it's a minute? And my uh, other question is uh, to what extent are you uh, taking into consideration things like uh, government-sponsored terrorism and um, the reason as to why our focus uh, goes here to Syria for a short period of time when it's big news and then it will go somewhere else, giving us very little time to solve any of the problems utilizing the focus of humanity because it's constantly being shifted. So is that, that's like your said, question. Is that I do have uh, a very logical, practical solution. Well, I think it's important. How about if we let Brian answer that question, and then if it's this time at the end, we can give you some time. Okay. If you would like to save yeah. that till the end, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, as I said, I think it is very regrettable that that our attention spans are so short. And that we we can kind of drift around, and when, when this crisis is in, the, is in the news, we all latch onto that. And when this crisis is in the news, we latch onto that. Like right now, there's, there's people from Eritrea and South Sudan and other parts of the world that are in just as desperate need as anybody in, in Lebanon, of course. Um, the question that I always come back to is Does the fact that I can't solve every problem mean that I shouldn't try and solve one? Um, so, yes, I, I fully agree that, that there's, there's all, all helping. Is, is problematic on some level. We are, we are complicit in, in systems that are far beyond our ability to even understand, much less correct. Um, so, yes, I, I know that, uh, that, that I'm a white privileged male in a Western society who's trying to, to do a tiny little bit of good. And, and I'm not going to solve every problem. I don't have this theory that you're mentioning that we quit in theory. Um, but uh, the, the basic thing I come back to is. I have to do what's in front of me. And this is something that's in front of us right now. And it, it, it may be that our attention span changes. And we next next year, there's some other crisis that draws us. But if we can get a few families here out of a desperate situation, it'll have been worth it for me. That's all I can say. My name is uh, Kurt Peterson. Ryan, I'm, I'm just wondering. Uh, what do you think about leadership from uh, political leadership in this uh, in this with this issue? For example, uh, Angela Merkel in Germany is uh, at risk of losing support, even though she's been had massive support in Germany. But they've taken in three quarters of a million refugees. In Canada, we've taken in a few thousand, and. Uh, our dear leader is uh, fighting for his life, just taking in a few thousand. Uh, I would say that, and that my question is to you, do you think uh, political leadership uh, is needed in this situation, not only in Canada, of course, but around the world? You can't be over there bombing and uh, refusing refugees at the same time, in my mind. Yeah, the short answer is I absolutely agree. I mean, I think that I think that Canada could do much, much, much more than we are doing. 
I don't know if, if three quarters of a million is realistic, and I think Germany is bumping up against some of the limitations of that sort of initial, initial wide open door policy. Um, but I think, quite frankly, our, our response as a nation has been pretty pathetic so far, and, and I think that that we, in, in, in how we vote in these next few weeks, um, I think we have a chance to send a message. I'm, I'm not a political animal. I'm, I'm not one of these. I, I Mennonites are historically not very interested in politics. Um, but uh, I think that as we vote, we have a chance to send a message about what kind of a country we want and, and what kind of a, how, how hospitable we want to be as a people. And I think that we have a duty to do that. I think that Canada used to be a place that was known internationally as, as, a, as a hospitable place. And I, and I see that reputation going down the drain. And, and it, it, it grieves me on one level. I mean, it's, it's sad to see this happening. I think we could do much more. And I think that, again, to bring it back to what I said earlier, if we would just put ourselves in the shoes of those who are over there, um, what, what would we want done for us? Would we want doors open or would we want them to stay resolutely closed because of uh, real or imagined uh, threats? I mean, I, I've been criticized by a lot of people online for saying we should just fling the doors open. I'm not saying that. I, I know that every refugee that comes here has, a, has to be screened by the government, have security clearance. Even if I did have the power, which I don't, many people think I have a lot more power than I do, but I'm not advocating just saying come one and all, but certainly come more than a few thousand. Well, I'd like to hear you say something a little bit more about your experience with government people or government agencies on this. You've talked about the role of local organizations and people, but what about your connection with, and I'm not sure just who you deal with when it comes to dealing with government. Government's a bit of a wide umbrella here, but I don't, yeah. I want you to tell me where to, what you've learned and what you've experienced. Well, we don't deal with government at all. Um, we deal with our sponsorship holder agreement, our sponsorship agreement holder, which is Mennonite Central Committee Alberta, which is the relief and development agency of, of a group of Mennonite churches. They have a contract with the government of Canada to bring refugees to Canada. And so anybody that brings a refugee into this country needs to work with an agreement holder. There's, there's, a, there's a diocese in Calgary that just brought in 24. So, so there's 80 some agreement holders across Canada. MCC is one of them. And so every private group, you don't deal directly with the government, you deal with these agreement holders. And they walk you through the paperwork process, they give you the forms to fill out. They provide you with uh, the lists when the government makes them available of who can be sponsored. So our, our connection to the government is always at one step removed, and everything goes through these, these agencies. Does that help? Or is there more? Uh, then what's the, what's the agency experiencing? Oh, the agency, MCC, what are they experiencing? Well, they're experiencing roughly the same situation that I've described here, but on a much bigger level. Inundated with, with requests to help and a tiny little trickle of refugees coming in to, to place people with. That's their reality right now. And then they're very frustrated with the government and, and, and how slowly they're moving on processing applications in, in these embassies overseas. Well, I'd like to ask a second question if I have a moderator. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's a tough woman to deal with. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ryan, this is a probably difficult question, and I'm just inviting you to muddle around with it, as the rest of us are. But 
But I was shocked uh, to look at my Globe and Mail this morning and to see the very top story on the front page, which um, reports that the Prime Minister's office interfered with uh, all these uh, refugee files for several weeks and had PMO staff people looking at the confidential information and otherwise of these files as though they're qualified to deal with this. Would you care to reflect about how you understand that, how sensible that is, or what sense you can make of it? Well, I only scanned the article very quickly before coming here today, and there was a follow-up article that I think where Chris Alexander had a quote that used, they were trying to ensure the integrity of the process. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd have to look into it more, but but if it's true, I think it's 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 another example of of a, of a government that's that's pretty fearful, and it is using fear fear in it as a political tool in, in this election campaign. Um, as I yeah, as I said, I'm not a political animal by nature, but it, but it, it doesn't doesn't sound good. It doesn't look good. The optics of it are terrible, especially coming right before, right before that, that little boy's body came up on the on the beach and knowing they were trying to get to Canada. I mean, if you have a if you have a prime minister's office muddling around in a in a department and, and trying to ensure that certain categories of people aren't allowed through, that's well, that's that's pretty despicable. Second question. Okay. This will be a bit shorter. Again, Henning Henning Lindell. I'm not sure if in your presentation you mentioned, but I understand the family comes from Homs, the two families. By the way, have you been to Homs? No. Nope. I have, and one of the one of the things of, a, of the world highlights is these huge water wheels. Yeah. So they're in irrigation yeah. um, for centuries. Um, I can give you one of these, and I'll give one to Jim. The question is, when did the family leave? The families leave Homs, and where are they physically now? They left in 2013, um, when the crisis was kind of at the, well, it was really taking a dramatic turn for the worse. Um, and they are in Lebanon. They're, in a, they're, in a, they're living right now in a small apartment with 19 other people. In Beirut? In, in, uh, in a small town outside of Beirut. Thank yeah. you. And they're waiting. Michael. Yeah. Michael's coming back for a minute here. Well, um, should I stand up here? Yeah, you have to use the mic. Okay. Thanks so much. I'm truly honored. I'm going to time you. <laughs> All right. Uh, my only request is that uh, if you like what you hear and you would like to take it a little bit more seriously because it sounds more feasible and practical and don't seem completely yeah. crazy. I, uh, yeah. I would like to request that you feel free to request that I speak a little bit longer.